Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookiee podcast, episode 40, The Silence of the Lambs from 1991. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I am your host, Hugh Lloyd. Like I said, this is episode 40. can't believe we've hit 40 already. Now, before I introduce my excellent co-host this evening, or this afternoon, or this morning, or whenever you're listening, let's check out the trailer. Spook easily, Starling. Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lecter's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? And, ladies and gentlemen, he's returned. Yes, he's back. Ladies and gentlemen, my brother from another mother, Mr. Leighton Winston. How the devil are you, sir? Hello, Clarice. <laughs> I'm right. You right? I'm good, yeah. <laughs> How long have you been practicing that one? Um, quite a lot. I'm not going to lie. Quite a lot. Quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it would help if you could take the face mask off while we were recording as well. That's, uh... oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll just sit. I'll just sit you with my um, my hands, a very Lecter-esque in front of me. <laughs> I tried that. I look more like Monty Burns, though. It's <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so we are talking, of course, Silence of the Lambs. No, yeah, I know. I do you know what? I couldn't believe that this was released in 1991. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's well, the book was released in 1988, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah, and quite quite an unusual thing for such a an award laden film. This film was released in February of 1990. No, no, sorry, 91. Yeah, and then the seeding Oscars then in. January or February of 1992, that yeah. when most films that win Oscars are tended to release in the award season, um, yeah. which is from like September onwards. So everything's fresh in the memory. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, this film just came in 
not a lot of fanfare about it when it when it actually came out. No, it grew, uh, didn't it? It was a grower. It was a real yeah, grower. It, the the book the book had a fan base already, um, and literally, <laughs> literally, yeah. and and it was a huge success, huge huge success. And then, of course, um, when books become so uh, popular, the film industry starts sniffing around, and they option it, and it was picked up, and then. Um, it, it, the, the actual process of getting the film out was uh, quite uh, quite interesting. Yeah. But um, do you want to do the um, the uh, start of the basics? Well, let's, let's you know. I mean, obviously, this is like I said, it was released in 1991, um, directed by Jonathan Demi, the great Jonathan Demi. I, I think you know. In this is a, I think he is masterful in this. I think his direction in this is absolutely masterful, and he and people sort of say about Jonathan Demi and they say that he's a you know he's a, he's a great director but I don't think he gets the accolades that he should do because he is just that you know I mean you look at um some uh, something wild um you know even married to the mob that good is fun, isn't it? good fun yeah and then he, he you know he goes from that to this um and he's it is a superb piece of work um Ted Talley um, adapted the screenplay, uh, the book to the screenplay. Um, of course, it stars uh, Jodie Foster, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins, Scott Glenn, Ted Levine, Anthony Held. Um, and I mean, this is, I mean, I, this is the other thing. It's 118 minutes long. Doesn't feel it. No, not Doesn't feel all. it. Doesn't not feel it at all. Um, all. It was at a budget of 19 million. Uh, and it took... Two hundred and seventy-two point seven million at the box office, which for that time was just unprecedented, wasn't it? Yeah, Absolutely for this type, particularly for this type of film. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is well, the controversy. The one thing that we need to get out of the way is this horror. Is this you know? Is is, is a sci-fi? Is this uh, you know? Is this a thriller? Um, for me, this is a gothic horror. All right. This right. is this is firmly within the realms of gothic horror now i would 100 percent disagree with you i i would say <laughs> i would say this is a, a psychological horror thriller um mainly because and we will elaborate on it more so um yes there is horror elements yes there is very thrilling elements however i think psych- psychologically um it's even more so. Um, it's also, you know, it's also a brilliant crime thriller. At least you forget because this is this is a, this is a this is a detective story set um, pre the internet. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, we are here now because of the internet. Okay, but the thing is, the reliance on modern investigation on technology compared to your actual groundwork is huge you know yeah. it's, it's it's huge um well there's the scene in there where you know and you know we'll co- we'll cover this scene probably in a little bit more detail later on where they're in the the funeral home where they're going to do the autopsy mm-hmm. um and uh glenn scott's character is, mean scott glenn? what's that do you mean scott glenn scott glenn why did i say scott glenn scott who's glenn scott <laughs> what am i doing i only i only like it's, not, it's it's early hours. Hang on a second. Let's sort this out. Hang on. <laughs> Caffeine. Scotland character. You know he's there, and he. You know he's using a fax machine, but it's Please. not. Yeah, it, but it's the auto police fax. Yeah. Which is you know I mean we're gonna, we're gonna set it up to six rooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean. 
there's a couple of things that actually do kind of I, you sort of give it its time and place. Um, however, it is timeless. I think this is an absolutely timeless film. Yeah, and I got to be honest when we, when we you and I were back and forth and we were saying right, what are we going to do? What, what should we do? And we've we've got a big list and we that we've been sort of we're yeah. trying to decide on which ones you know become the next one. Um, and I can't remember whether it was you or I who suggested to do this. Um, and and usually for myself, if you've listened to any other podcasts that we've done based on books, comic books, whatever, I'm, nine times out of ten I haven't read them. So um, <laughs> I, I actually I actually broke I, I broke with tradition and I I bought I went out and bought the book because ashamedly I'd never read the book. Um, even though members of my family when I was growing up had it, I never got around to reading it. Yeah. Um, but I, I've seen the film. I, I I forget how many times I've seen the film. And in fact, it's one of those ones that when it comes on television, when you channel hop in, I make a point of actually watching it from regardless of where the film has started and whatnot. Yeah. But um, I went out and bought the book. I read, I read it within two days. I just couldn't put it down. Yeah. And what this film, what this this adaptation has done, is take the source material, be incredibly honourable to that source material. Yeah, yeah. And yes, it's 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 taken out um, quite a quite a quite a big storyline out of the out of the book, and I'm not spoiling anything by saying this, because if you've watched Hannibal the TV show, they actually did uh, use it in the TV show, which kind of makes sense because you need, you need to sort of flesh it out yeah <laughs> flesh it out Way. <laughs> <laughs> and we're up and running <laughs> ah, jokes are off already isn't it? um the, 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 the film um jettisons the um subplot regarding um jack crawford's wife um, yes yes suffering terminal cancer and you know you, you could be you, you could sort of imagine it being in there and it having an effect and you know physicality but i think with the adaption um it was quite right to to sort of remove it. They've they, they tinkered slightly. Um, part of the murder inquiry um, reveals um, pictures of Catherine Martin in the book. Yes. Um, the candid Polaroids, whereas in the film they they, they shifted it to um, uh, uh, I forget the, the first victim's name, uh, Fred Frederick yes. Bimmel. Yes. Yeah. So they, they they've chopped and changed slightly, but the thing is, the text is still there in the film. Well, yeah. From, I mean, they're a line for line. Uh, yeah. See yeah. that, and it and it, you know, it is incredibly faithful. Incredibly it's, faithful. It's 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 such a it, it's such um especially like like, you know, like I say, he's haven't seen the film as many times, and those lines being you know burnt into your subconscious to actually read it in the print and think, wow. They really went for it. They really, yeah. really didn't go for it. And, it, you know, like I said, it, it, it's it's tremendously faithful in adaption. However, they did cut out one person, which I'm kind of glad they did. And it's... Um, when was the last time you read the book or when did you read Oh, I think it was about... Ooh, it's got to be about 10 years, maybe 10 years. Do you remember Alan, who works in Dr. Chilton's office? Yes, vaguely. Yes. yes. And the first thing he says to Clarice Starling, now I'm glad they didn't keep him in the film because there was a, this, this film has jarring moments in it. Oh, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. 
Alan says, um, may I take your coat? Have you had, and he says to the effect of, have you had a shit this morning? <laughs> did, did it, does it come out long and brown? Yes, it, yes, <laughs> yes. And, you know, and, he, and, and the conversation almost goes from there and he's chastised by Dr. Chilton. And, you know, it's um, it sort of it sort of sets up, you know, individuals and shall we say that may or may not be in this <laughs> I'm kind of glad that wasn't in there, to be yeah, honest. Uh, because obviously the, you know, that sort of the uncomfortableness of Clarice in certain situations is, is a cornerstone. Yes, of yes. this film and I mean yes. I think you know one of the things that you know this film I mean obviously this film is about a number of things it's about sort of um, you know it's about psychopathy it's about serial killers it's about mm-hmm. gender you know it's about gender politics and stereotyping it's about identity it's a you know, you know the motivation of the characters is you know it, it is absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. but I think it's fair to say this film is about struggle from yeah, and from the very first moment that we see Clarice Starling, Jodie Foster's character, um, mm. you know, she's running uphill. She's she's mm. she's she's on obst- she's on on an obstacle course. Yeah, um, you know, she's in a very very male environment, and you know, it is about her. You know her overcoming a number of different struggles as well her, her, her inner struggle yeah, um, yeah as well as the outer yeah and harking back to the book um her um her background is altered slightly for yes. the, the the film um she actually does have family um yeah. still living in the book whereas in the film she's an orphan isn't yes, she yeah yeah, you know, and that sort of amplifies, you know, her struggle even more so, doesn't it? You know, um, and yeah. I think, I, I think, you know, that that's that's like again is a wise choice by Ted Talley, you know, and Ted Talley. Um, I was reading an article about him um, in, in a retrospective that um, Rolling Stone did on the 25th anniversary of the film. Yeah, and I think that if I remember correctly. You, he said that this was his first adaptation. He was he was a writer anyway, but yes. this was his first adaptation. Who actually knew or knows Thomas Harris? Yeah, um, you know, and Tom and Thomas Harris read his script and he said, "Look, I really do like it." Fair play. He said, "It's your it's your telling of the story." And he said, "But I do like it." And um, but he, he went on to say, like you know, that, that there was a, obviously when they do screenplays, there's draft after draft after draft. Famously. Yeah. Um, what went through the Total Recall went through forty drafts <laughs> to get. I think they're still. Back, I know. think they're still drafting it. Um, <laughs> but, um, there's some little guy in an office somewhere who didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah, probably still getting paid a million dollars a year. For it as well. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, it, 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 when when it got to Jonathan Demi, Jonathan Demi pretty much loved the script as it was, and um, going into sort of the the, the the history of this film getting made, um, I think it's pretty well documented, isn't it? That Gene Hackman was going to yeah. uh, star and direct in this, um, you know. It, but it, it, I've read different conflicting reports. Um, he wanted to direct it. He was going. He was mooted to be Lecter. But he was also down for Jack Crawford as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the I think the the general take on sort of Gene Hackman's he loved it. 
he absolutely loved it and he he bought the rights for it yeah. he was de- you know he was down to um direct um originally he was considered for uh, lecter but they thought he was too old Mm-hmm. And then that it, that he would be far suited to playing Crawford because of the situation with Crawford, because in Manhunter or Red Dragon, Crawford is very much the slick um, sort of bespoke, you know, three-piece suit wearing character yeah. that we see yeah. Scott Glenn's character in this one. Um, because of yeah. but obviously by the time we get to Lambs, his wife is ill and he's lost lots of weight. He's looking mm. older. He's popping, yeah. you know, uh, you know, he, he, there's always the hints that he's always taken lots of tablets anyway, but he's popping more mm. pills. Mm. There is that sort of, and that's how Hackman was going to be involved. And then obviously he read the script and, um, just thought, no, this is way too violent for me. And I'm, I can't, I, I'm not the person to do this. Well, it surprisingly, you right. Um, when uh, Jonathan Demi had re- worked with Michelle Pfeiffer on Married to the Mob. Yes. And he wanted her for Stalin. Yes. She read the script and she passed on it as well because she thought it was too violent. Now, behind the scenes to all of this, Jodie Foster was actively saying, I'm clearly Stalin. Yes. I, I am the person you're looking for. Yes. Uh, hot on the heels of her first Oscar win for The Accused. Yeah. And, you know, her, her star that, was very. That's a very, feel good film. Oh, oh God! I have. I, <laughs> I, I have seen it. I have seen it, and it was a, a remarkable, remarkable film. But it, you know, it's not exactly one of those ones you're going to rush back to see anytime soon, is no, it? No, no. But um, uh, anyway, go back to uh, Gene Hackman and Michelle Pfeiffer. This, this always, always has surprised me regarding um, the, the screenplay because on film, yes, yes, there are violent sequences. There oh, are yes. violent sequences. However, much like Seven that came out five years, four or five years later, you don't see a lot of the violent acts. It's more what you're doing with your head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're being told this happened. So automatically your mind is going, oh, my God, I can imagine somebody being flayed, you know, having the skin taken off them, well, you know. The scene where um, he, you know, Lecter has got the, um, got the truncheon and he's yes. hitting him. Uh, yeah, and exactly. Lecter's escape, isn't it? It's Lecter's yes. escape is a very, very violent sequence. However, at that exact same time, it is suspenseful, it is thrilling, it yeah. is exciting, because you can see what is happening. Oh. When, you, when, when, the, when, the, when the reveal happens in the ambulance, right, it's, it's still breathtaking. Yes. It's absolutely breathtaking. Well, However, it, it, that, that alone... And perhaps um, the death of James Gambon, if it might be yes. funny if you listen to this and you don't know how it ends, well, tough shit. <laughs> but, uh, but that, you know, that, that, that screenplay then must have been incredibly, incredibly detailed. Incredibly detailed. Because, yes, you do see um, a, de- uh, a corpse in a bath that's been there for God knows how long, you know, yes. in, a, in a state of decay. Um, you do see a dead body and you do see the markings of, of somebody who's been in water and has been submerged for X amount of time. Yes, you know? yes. And you see the reeling of that. But the thing is, you don't see the deaths. You don't see the deaths. No. So it always it always fascinated me to, as to the the description then in, the, in these screenplays because harking back to Seven, Seven is arguably one of the greatest films ever made. It really, really is, right? 
every time you watch it, you don't see the deaths. The only death that you do see of the seven deadly sins is, spoiler alert, the end. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You don't see the, you don't see those acts. They are horrific. You see the aftermath. You don't see the actual violent acts that precedes. Yeah. So that that absolutely fascinates me. It fascinates me, and I think this is why I always argue that this film is a psychological crime thriller horror. You know, it is because you don't see the death of multiple Migs. You told no, about it. No, no. You told what happened, and Lecter, all he's done is talk to him. He's talked to a mentally very ill man and he's persuaded him to commit suicide, right? By swallowing his own tongue. By swallowing his own tongue. You don't see that act. You don't see it. You're just told what happens. Yeah. But then you see the reaction to them. She's, you know, Clarice Starlin, Jodie Foster, is shocked by the death of someone who ultimately is Chuck Jizzer. Yes. You know, (laughs) there's there's, there's no two ways about it, is there? You know, and it's, it's... and, and as Lecter himself says, you know, that's unspeakable. You know, he would never do, he would never treat a, 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 anyone like that. You know, yes. most normal human beings wouldn't do that. No. But, you know, and I mean, it's, this is, you know, and I think that is sort of, that is the power of this film, isn't it? Is that it is able to combine all of these sort of very, very um, visceral, complex. Mm. ideas and motifs and you know and aesthetically it's able to bind them all together without without sort of ever um what's the best way to do without ever it being salacious exactly i was going to say it doesn't resort to cheap thrill no no it doesn't which you know horror films are guilty of a hundred million completely and i think you know even you know when you look at uh master you know you know the master in my opinion anyway the masterpiece that is the exorcist there are very very much it does have those horror tropes in it it does have the jump scares it does have the you know yeah yeah those moments and and the visceral gore yeah but then if you look at a sequence um, like the night vision sequence, then oh, it's just super! It's just incredible! It's incredible. That, that sequence alone, right, is absolutely staggering. It's been much parodied. Uh, people have tried to imitate it, and totally unsuccessfully. Yes, um, that sequence is genuinely terrifying. You do not know what is happening. The man is silent. Yeah, he's silent, and then you look. You look in the environment he's in, right? There's obstacles everywhere around. But the thing is, he is silent, and you know the reaction. Those reaction shots. Um, there's one sequence. Um, uh, if you go back and watch it, um, Jodie Foster is trying to get a bearings, and she's looking around the room, and she does a double blink, yes. almost sort of recalibrate to the dark. Yes. That, it's just genius. And that is genius. It's the moment for me, and I, when I sat down and watched it again yesterday, where he touches her, he almost touches her hair. Yeah, yeah. the hand is the it's, it, it's just, yeah. that is a different level of, it, it's real, it's real terror, isn't it? Yeah. He is yeah. not, you know, he hasn't got a hockey mask, he hasn't got a, you know, a machete, he's not sort of... Uh, He's not been, you know, he's not had a TV dropped on him or, you know, he's, he's not had a, been shot a million times. He's a man. He is a real, real be- human being. Mental. I, and I, 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 I'm sorry to just interject there, but I think as well, I think that probably adds to the terror because this is yes. plausible 
ultimately, isn't it? Yeah, I know in the book, Lecter, uh, Lecter's description in the book, he's got six fingers and he's got red eyes, isn't he? Right? Yes. I don't care who you are, it wouldn't have worked in the film, right? But the thing is, because it's grounded in a reality which is plausible, and unfortunately, sometimes things like this happen with... Look, Jim uh, Gum is an amalgamation of a lot of serial killers. Yeah, three in particular. Yes. Uh, well, there's, right. there's Ted Bundy, yes. Ed Gein, and... Um, oh, Gary never- Heidnick. Gary Heidnick. Yeah. He's the one I could never remember the name of. He is, he is an amalgamation of those, and they all committed unspeakable acts. Yeah, yeah. Those things sometimes happen in the world. That reality grounds this and makes it even more terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Because that reality is scarier than any boogeyman, than any um, oh. fan, fantasy demon, you know, and reality terrifies. Yeah. And that, I think, adds yeah. even more so to this and I mean uh, you know when this, I mean this film obviously in terms of the Oscars it, it you know it's only one of three films to win the big five that's correct you know yeah. it won best picture best director best actor best actress and best screenplay the mm. only other two the, the only other films that have done that was it happened one night in 1934 mm-hmm. and one flew over the cuckoo's nest in 1975 that's correct and it, and it hasn't been done since no and I, I, I must say I haven't seen it happen one night. Um, I, I, I can I, hand on heart. I I haven't seen that. <laughs> no, right. But we both have seen um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and I'm not being funny. We would we would class those we would class Silence of the Lambs and Cuckoo's Nest in the same breath simply because yes. they are that good. Yes. They genuinely yes. are good. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Demme, you brought up his, uh, some of his filmography. Um, I, I, I always say this about certain directors. The directors that take um, big risks from film to film. Not, no, not, not, not big risks is the wrong word, perhaps. Different choices. I'm a big admirer of directors who make different choices per oh, yeah. film. Yes. You, you know, Jonathan Demme, to me... Um, I will always associate the silence of the lambs and the second film I will always think of of Jonathan Demme is Stop Making Sense. The, the, talk, <laughs> yes. know, the Talking Heads um, uh, concert film. Yes. Because yes. if you haven't seen it, it's fucking mind-blowing. Yes. It's just a band on stage. It's a band on stage, but it, it shows you the sheer brilliance of their music, the sheer magnetism of the frontman. Yes. And it shows you how they have staged this concert, and it is flawless. It is a masterpiece. Well, you've, you throw into that, right? We said about, you know, obviously Married to the Mob, um, you know, something wild. Um, and then we got, we, get, we got Silence of the Lambs, and then he goes from Silence of the Lambs to Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's be honest, Philadelphia is a, is a tremendous film. It's really, really good. It really is. I know perhaps... I don't. I don't want to say that it's, it's, it's been sullied. It hasn't been sullied in any way, shape, or form. But I think um, because of the back-to-back wins Tom Hanks had, didn't he? At the uh, yeah, awards yeah. season, and he's brilliant in Philadelphia. Let's make no bones about it. Um, but then, as good a film as Forrest Gump is, no, it's not. It's, it's terrible film. I hate Forrest Gump. I hate no, Forrest Gump. I disagree. I think technically it is do you want to know why I hate Forrest Gump and I've got a legitimate fucking reason for this I fucking hate that bastard I can mouth every fucking word of that fucking film because my office at one point 
was next door to a certain teacher who shall remain nameless. Right. And you could hear everything through the walls. Okay? And uh, when somebody uses film to teach a subject, and for about 12 weeks of the year, all I hear is, laugh is like a box chocolates, over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> I, how I didn't go postal, I do not know. I, 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 there was a period of time, I think, and I love Tom Hanks. I think he's, you know, he's a lovely, genuine man. But there would have been a moment where I think if I'd ever come face to face with him at that time, he might have been a dead man. Uh. You're not, you're not going to apply for a job in Bubba Gumps anytime soon, then, are you? Oh, whole, oh, God, honest God. Honest <laughs> to fucking God. It just just kills me. It kills me. I will I will say as well, though, the other thing I think that Sally somewhat with um, Forrest Gump... I, look, I think it's a, it's a good film. I really do think... I, oh, think I mean, technically, it, 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 it's a great <laughs> film, and there's so many yeah. mobile... And it's got Kurt Russell as Elvis again. Yeah, and... Um, Robert Zemeckis probably deserved Oscars for other films than Forrest Gump let's be honest <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah I, mean, back oh, to no, I, do, I totally agree with you I totally agree with you I can't believe he did you know I can't believe he just anyway. I think I think Contact is just phenomenal starring Jodie Foster funny enough Contact is clever amazing. clever science fiction without a laser gun in sight no no absolutely tremendous film in fact, I'm going to try and watch it this week because I haven't seen it in ages. Great so I just love. There's that um, one shot of uh, running towards um, a mirror, the way it's tracked and how they did it. It just melts my brain. Yeah. Still. No. And sorry, Pulp Fiction lost out in the Oscars to Forrest Camp, which just. Yeah. When we're done recording, that. I'm going to go outside and scream. Yeah. Explain. <laughs> explain that one to me. Explain, yeah, just but honestly, no, like the I think the Americans did it to Noriega, didn't they? Where they just blasted loud music at him for a period of time, <laughs> it's very, very similar to that. Oh, uh, but do you know you saying about it? We were talking about Oscars and whatnot. Do you know how many BAFTAs this film won? No, the British, go on. British Academy Film Awards, right? It won two, <laughs> <laughs> it won Best Actor, yes. And best actress, it didn't win best film or best director. Yeah. Now, mm. the film it lost to is a great film. However, is it one of the most iconic films ever made? Hell no. Hell no. So what did uh, it lose out to? Alan Parker's The Commitments. Right. <laughs> Yeah, just Don't saw Imelda Quirk's ass coming down a ladder. <laughs> like I say, an absolutely brilliant film. The Commitments is is a brilliant film. Michael Wallace, he'll fuck off with the money. Sorry, father. <laughs> <laughs> and and fucking and. <laughs> Still wearing um, those blue suede shoes, Mr. Rabbit. <laughs> Look, it, it is. It, the Commitments is a brilliant film. But the thing is, is it better than Silence of the no, Lambs? No, no, no. Never, ever no. will it ever be better than Silence of the Lambs. It's a great film, but it is not better than Silence of the Lambs. Now, one man in this film, I think, um, really needs to get 
uh, a lot of credit is the cinematographer Tak Fujimoto. Fujimoto, yes. sorry. Um, yes. Because, and you know, whenever you read anything about this or whatever you, you know, anything you watch, the num- you know, the, this film is a film of close-ups. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, whenever somebody, there is that direct address to the camera. And what that direct address to the camera does, it completely filters out everything in the background and just, it's just you and that character. Yeah. And the scene where Clarice and Lecter first meet is, um, it is an absolutely stunning piece of filmmaking. The build-up to the meeting, to that scene, and I mean, obviously, it's been parodied a million times. A million times. Um, my favourite parody, oddly enough, is in uh, Loaded Weapon 1. <laughs> F. Murray Abraham. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered which one of us was going to bring it up. Which one of us was going to bring it up. You know, I'm, and also the I'm Mel... I'm so glad you did it, yeah. not me. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I went to the cinema to see that. I actually paid it, so I was the one person who saw it in the cinema. <laughs> But, you know, uh, that, very yeah, that is a masterclass between um, cinematographer and director. And the use of cinematic technique in that f- scene is just incredible. The use of um, portion. And when you look at it, it's I think it, I think in total, the scene is about six minutes long. Um, but what it does in that moment it completely conveys character plot um thematic ideas that just run throughout the whole film it is just unbelievably incredible filmmaking because and this is where the sort of it's kind of solidifies for me the idea of gothic horror in that if you look and it's kind of the antithesis of manhunter um because when you look at Manhunter, the first time you see... And Brian Cox, I think, is a very, very good lector. He's a very, very good lector. Um, mm. And for a long time, actually, um, it took me quite a while to appreciate Anthony Hopkins as lector because I thought he was too... I th- always thought that when I watched it, I thought his performance was too big and a bit pantomime But over the years, he's, it, his performance has grown on me because I... Th- when you look at him, it is perfect for the character of Lecter because Lecter mm. is, it, it, he is almost that sort of, you know, he's not quite that sort of pantomime villain, but no, he's a, no. a character that is larger than life. Yeah. Um, as I said, you know, in the book, he's described as being, he's Lithuanian. Yes. Yeah, he's yes. Lithuanian, isn't he? And, yeah. Um, there's there's always the lector or lector, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, you different spellings of the name. Yeah, at different, different spellings, yeah. isn't it? Um, um, but like that's that where it comes in, you know, where Jodie Foster's character, when Clarice, you you see the asylum from the outside, and it is, it is essentially it is the 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 castle, it is the gothic castle. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then when she enters the building and you see her descending down. And she goes down and down and down, and then she's there. And, I mean, I think people sort of talk about, um, you know, great performances in this, but Anthony Held, um, as the Doctor, uh, as, as Chilton, he's 
such a smarmy, slimy cunt. It's it's a it's a magnificent performance. Yeah, he's pricking it. He is. He's he's, he's, he's the type of person that you just want to slap. You know, because yeah. he's just he's just oozing, and he and he's uh, because he is, you know, he he has this incredible amount of power, but yeah. only within his own domain. Yes, yes, yeah. and it's it's um, highlighted even more so when um, Lecter's um, held in the courthouse. Yes, after after speaking to the U.S. the senator, yes. and there's the press conference, and it's like, my name is Doctor Frederick. Yes, C-H-I, yes. you know. And you know he's got to be front and center. You know the stories yes. about him. It's not about what Hannibal Lecter's no, doing. No, you know, it's about me. And you know that little bit of self promotion um, and just highlights how much of a knob he is. Like yeah. a, ultimate, ultimately, he is the reason Lecter escapes. Yeah, yeah, completely, you know? completely. Yeah, completely. And, you know he's 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 slime, isn't he? He's, he's yeah, slime. He is evil. He, yeah, he, I, I think in you know even though you know you've got your you've got your, you've got two villains here. Uh, you know, you've got Buffalo Bill, you've got Lecter, but actually, um, you've got Chilton as well. Yeah. He, you know, because he, comp- he almost completely destroys the case. Completely yeah. destroys the case. Yeah. But yeah. what I love about that moment where they go, they, they descend down and they go down and they go down. And then before they enter, before they go down to see where the prisoners are, there's a red light. And that red light, it's almost like she is, you know, Clary Starlin is about to enter Dante's Inferno. Yeah, and I, I, and that's the that's the moment he shows the picture, isn't it? Yes. Of the, of the nurse. Yes. Um, which, which, again, we don't see, but Chilton explains his blood pressure never went above, yeah. you know, 85, and they managed to reset her jaw, um, but he swallowed her tongue, and he, you know, he, he, yeah. he did this and did that. And again, that, that harks back to that psychological aspect of it. Um, but do you know what you're saying about the dissension? Um, yeah. the, the sound editing in this. Oh, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing because it almost as she's going down and down and going down those stairs, and that was a set that was purpose-built. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Purpose-built set. They actually built those corridors and that hospital setup, right? Um, the sounds as you're going down and down. It always sort of. I've I've always thought it sounds like a submarine. So those background yes, noises. Yes. Away, yeah. You know, you're going down and down, yes. and you know, you've got the the beeping and the things. And one thing, I, one thing I I, I recently realised is the amount of. Um, Weaponry they've got on standby for those yes. people in North South. Yes, you know, talking a full armory against one wall, like for for, yes. for, a, for, for a cell block that holds four people. You know, and that sort of, I think that shows the the threat those people are. Yeah, but, um, Barney. Yes. Do you know who Barney is? Oh God, yes. Um, um, he's in everything. Barney is in everything. Oh yeah. God, if only. What is, oh, what was he in? Barney, connections to the wire, part number forty-three. Ah, yes. And of course, um, the I've wires. actually written that down. I've actually <laughs> written down, and I've got, and I've actually highlighted it on my iPad in in red, where it says "link to wire." <laughs> and where is the hospital? Ah, oh, come on. It's in Baltimore. Yes. No, I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Of course, it's Frankie Faison is. Frankie um, yeah, he's got a hundred and nineteen yeah. credit. 
yeah, 119 credits. And he's got, he's in, you know, obviously he's in Silence of the Lambs to the and wire. And he's in a Y five O. Yeah, and he was in <laughs> Hannibal as well. Yes, and you know, coming to America. The... <laughs> <laughs> he's the landlord in Coming to America. <laughs> uh, my missus watches Hawaii Five O religiously. I can't. I can't. No. And actually, you know, there's quite an interesting link to TV here because if we didn't have. Um, Silence of the Lambs. We wouldn't have NCIS. Uh, we certainly wouldn't have Criminal Minds. Um, and, you know, those sort of, particularly Criminal Minds, that, that, that sort of, that police procedural focusing on, on the serial killer and the behavioural, your behavioural unit and profiling and those type of things. The impact of this is incredible. But going back to, like, that scene, because it, it links nicely to it's almost like a foreshadowing of the of the finale, the final showdown between Buffalo Bill and Clary Starlin. In that, she's entered, she's entered. The, you know, you can link it to the sort of, and this again, it goes back to like why I still think it's gothic in in so many ways. It, it's linked to sort of almost Greek mythology as well, where she's entering the labyrinth. She's entering the you know the Minotaur's labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And again, storytelling, I mean, you know, every story is, is linked to the classic sort of uh, Greek structure of that. You have the hero's journey, the quest, it must, you know, the, the hero's got to face the monster. You know, mm-hmm. she is facing the Minotaur. Um, you know, she's, you know, in, in all intents, but she is Theseus entering the labyrinth. He's, she's facing mm-hmm. the Minotaur. Um, and you, she, as she goes down, she goes past these sort of almost medieval dungeons. Mm-hmm. She goes past those medieval uh, dungeons and, you know, you see, you know, you, you've got like all the different ones. They're all sort of just, you know, they stood by the bars and then you've got Migs there. And, mm. I, and, and then she comes, there's all this chaos. And then she comes right to the end where she's, you know, there is almost the most dangerous of all of the, all of the, all of those criminals, all those psychopaths, all those, you know, those monsters. And his cell is ordered Mm. It's calm, and there's this slight old man just stood very, very still, waiting behind, you know, bulletproof glass. Mm-hmm. It's it's an incredible, you know, and I mean, then you got this, you know, the use of the POV shot from her to him, you know, and when he's asking to see her, you know, her ID, and it is closer. Yeah, close. It's yeah. chilling. It's absolutely well, chilling. Well, that is um, that's probably a lot down to Anthony Hopkins's um, theatre background, isn't it? You know, the preciseness. The yes. I, I don't want to say clip tones, but you know, his his dialect is precise, isn't it? A, and there's no waste. There's no econ. No. There's no sort of. And I think that's and that's very much the difference between his lector and Brian Cox's lector. Mm. Brian Cox's lector is a, a character born out of film, whereas mm. Hopkins is very much that. I mean, Anthony Hopkins himself is an absolutely tortured soul. Let's not forget, you know, he is a man that has gone through multiple, multiple uh, mental health issues over his time. I think, you know, you know, he had a drink problem. He has a problem with depression. Um, it lives a very, very interesting life. Um, mm. You know, and he, you know, he talks about sometimes he'll get in a car and just drive for days. Mm. Um, mm. 
but it, what 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 the, you've seen the difference between um, Brian Cox and Anthony Hopkins? Um, you'd never see you'd, you'd never um, have a little bit of playfulness for the bottom for want of the better word. No, to, no. Brian Cox would do. No. Brian Cox would be very much sort of much much more direct. Whereas Anthony Hopkins, you know, the wink. Yes. Yes, Stalin, you yeah. know. and and the dialogue um, is rapid fire. Yeah, it's bang, yeah. bang, 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 yeah. bang, and and almost like you get the counter shot with the yeah. camera. It's the count. It's, it's the pun. It's the it's it's the it's the it's the Joe. It's it's the jab. It's the counter punch, and all that, of the shots go back that, and forth. That is, that is the book. That is exactly the book. That is exactly the book. He's, you know, because at the end of the day, right? We're talking about a pudgy Welsh bloke. Right. <laughs> who, is, who has a SWAT team sent into him because he is that much of a threat, right? When he escapes, yeah, right. <laughs> he, but, but he's 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 so. How can I how can I say? He's, he's, well, Ted Talley himself, right, said he thinks there's one shot in the film. And this is remarkable, and I, this this should really give me excuse to go back and watch it again. Only once on screen you see him blink. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's because his stare is so intense, and he's only opening his eyes a little bit. That, you know, he truly gives you the impression that if I'm put in front of you and there's there's a threat between us, there's going to be one winner, and that is going to be Doctor Hannibal Lecter. Well, actually, it's the. Um the, see, the the blink, and I could be completely wrong in this, but I think the blink, because I looked up this scene, and it's the eleventh shot in the scene, and it's a close up. You get it's from you get Clarice's point of view, and it's a match cut to Lec- to Lecter's eyes are closed, because it's the moment where he realizes she is an FBI. And it's the he closes his eyes there, and it's that moment where he knows that he's got a way in. He's calm, he's considering, and he's contemplating, and and, and that's where he. It's the eleventh shot in there, and it's it's a it's a it's from Clarice's point of view to him. Isn't that just after she um, makes confession of um, almost being abandoned by his family? Yes. Yeah. And she's sent to go and live in an orphanage, yes. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's all—it's almost—it's almost sympathetic, isn't it? You yeah. know, you could, um, you could say um, it is—you know—it is masterful. It, yeah, it's master. It, it's cinema at, at its at its most powerful, and you know, yeah. he uses that sort of Demi and Fujimata uses that 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 shot time and time and time again, and it, it's. It is incredible, even to the bit where, you know, where she take, goes to, you know, you see Stalin when she takes the moth um, to the museum to be looked at, you know, and you, yes. Yeah. Um, and even in that scene, you get that moment between the back and the forth, the back and the forth, the back and the forth. But that, that, that's, 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 um, that's, that's something that's used quite a lot, isn't it? When, yes. when there's a lot being exchanged. And in fact, those, those one-to-ones, um, the escape sequence they, they sort of goes yes she has the conversation with the, the Sergeant Tate Sergeant Tate yes um, with his with his moustache the size of a B-52 wing span it's, it's, it's a country and western singer isn't he 
<laughs> I can't think of his yeah, I think name. He, yeah, um, he's actually... No, a, no, 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 you were thinking of Chris Isaac. No, yeah, I know Chris Isaac is, but actually he's something, He's it's a cameo. He is something else. Oh my God, what's his name? Because there's a, there's a good couple cameos in this. Yeah. Obviously you've got Roger Corman. Yes. Um, it makes uh, a cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And then also George Romero makes a cameo. Um, in the scene where um, Clarice tell, you know, she tells the story of uh, obviously what happened to the lambs and why she hears the lambs screaming and all that kind of stuff. Um, no way they pull her away. Yeah. With the, the police officer drag her away. Yeah. On the left-hand side, there is a guy with a beard and a mic and a radio and he's helping dragging her away and he looks back very very quickly at the camera and that's George Romero is it really? yes it's George Romero oh right I didn't know that I honestly didn't know that didn't it's a proper um, blink and you miss moment oh, and it's right. George Romero right um, Sergeant Tate is Danny Dast and he doesn't appear to be his country singer oh, where, in any what is he Danny Dast he's done something there's another one there's somebody else in this who is a country and western singer as well as Chris yeah. Isaac He's been in. He was. He was in a lot of um, Jonathan Demme films. That's right. That's right. A lot of um, uh, Demme films. A lot, a lot of uh, Demme films. Um, you know, but the the the, 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 the POV shots then for what uh, the, the, the they are frequent. You know. Yes. But um, you, you're right about Anthony Hopkins. He's just. His presence, his presence, his, his, his sheer presence is startling. Yes. It's really, really startling. He's magnetic. Yeah, and I think it's been sullied a little bit because anything that becomes this iconic does get sullied over time. Um, I don't think the sequels helped as well, if I'm honest. No, uh, no, I think that's a fair... I thought... I thought I thought Hannibal was not particularly good. I thought the book was bloody awful, from truthful. Yeah. I really, didn't. I read. Yeah, I remember reading the book, and I just remember thinking, "Oh, this is this is you know that sort of catching moment." Yeah, yeah. And, and weirdly, I read, I read, I read Hannibal before I read Silence of the Lambs. I just can't. <laughs> what what thought process have I got? Like, I mean, could anyway, be worse. But, you could have read Hannibal Rising. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've never even entertained that. Never even entertained it. Uh. You know. <laughs> and i got to be honest, Red Dragon is okay. It's not brilliant. Far from it. But, um, again, not, I think, I think that was... It? No. Oh, good God, no. I mean, Brett Ratner or Michael Mann, which one are you going to pick? <laughs> and don't get me wrong, the cast for Red Red Dragon is pretty spectacular. When you oh, actually yeah, do. it is. It is. Yeah, it you is. know, it's pretty spectacular. But... I think there was an awful lot of paychecks on offer, but there wasn't there, to be honest. Yes, yes. And, you know, um, it was never, ever going to be, never in a month of Sundays was it ever going to be Manhunter. Uh, no. And, you know, Francis Dollaride has been done to perfection, you know. Mm. Not that Ray Fiennes was bad in it. He wasn't. No way was he no, bad in it. No, You know, Tom Noonan was spectacular. He had the physicality for it, Yes, he, he did, yeah. Know? Yeah, he had the unusual look about him. You know, no disrespect to the man, but he did. That's why that, that performance will always be Francis Dollarite. Yes. Now, speaking of the other villain, Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill, James Gum, give him a proper Gunn name. is just spectacular. 
he Brilliant. is spect and he is the you know and that character Jim Gums Jim Gun Gum is a total total antithesis of Lecter. Yes. Because Lecter is controlled, he is ordered, he is intelligent. Yes. Whereas, you know, he, he Jim Gum is disordered, hates yes. himself. Yes. Um, you know, he's the classic weirdo. You know what yes. I mean? He, he, you know, and that voice. Yeah. Uh, that Ted Levine gives him gives that character and the phys- and the physic because Ted Levine's a big guy. Yeah. He's a big guy. You know, he's uh, but he's, he looks so awkward. And, you know, let's get it over and done with. The Willy dance, where he took, you know. Yes. Apparently, there was a lot of tequila on set that day. Well, the song that plays in that is by an artist called Coo Lazarus. And the song is called Goodbye Horses, and it's a phenomenal song. It is genuinely a brilliant song. Yes. Um, But... um, I, th- I think there's something we need to address about Silence of the Lambs is that there was a fair bit of scandal. Yeah, um, I think it's sort about, of... About uh, Jim Gum, um, yes. or Buffalo, if you want to call him, because um, there was accus- accusations that um, he was a... Um, some some people um, some people saw him as being a gay serial killer, and um, certain groups got are very, very angry, and, you know... You can you could you can see why. However, um, one thing I've never ever thought about James Gum is that he was gay. In you know, never did I ever think he was gay. He was a, a, a conflicted man. However, he wanted to be a woman. Yeah. Well, it's the it's the it got accused of being transphobic. Um, yes. And sort of it's it's this idea that you you know that it, there is this transgender serial killer whose yeah. transgender is the primary motivation for you know for the horrific acts that he kills yeah uh, for, for the horrific acts that he does but actually it's i think it's a really unfair criticism because there is a whole piece of exposition in the film that says well no he isn't transgender he, yeah you know he is um you know it's you know, this is somebody who is completely conflicted, um, yes. and, and it's not that he identifies with a woman; it's just that he actually hates him. He uh, identifies as a transgender person. He yeah. he's his he's conflicted because he does he hates himself so much. Yes, um, and, and that's yeah. where it comes from. And, and you know, there is that sort of um, and there's a whole piece of dialogue in it. And you know, and even um, Clarice Starin says, you know, says that you know the vast majority of transgender and and passive. trans people are um you know are very very passive yeah you know and, yeah and i look f- films films are interpreted in different ways by different everybody takes different things in different films don't they yes and and that is you know something i never when the, when the, when, contra- when controversy attaches itself to a film um, yes, there are going to be reasons why they, they are. I, I personally have never seen James Gunn as being anything other than a very sick, twisted character. Sexuality doesn't even begin to come into it, as far as I'm concerned, as it does in everyday life for me. Well, no, and I mean, he right? sort of. Um, I mean, the character himself, you know, you know, 
because the women send him those pictures. Yeah. They send him the pictures. Yeah. So the chances are, and even Lecter says about this, he's probably bisexual, uh, mm. you know, or, you know, that he is, um, you know, and Lecter comes across him because of his, or because of um, the, the Moffat murder. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is, you know, and, it, and it's like the idea, obviously, the reason why he is, you know, he's sort of, he's killing these women is actually he's killing a part of himself mm. and that's an interest and that's a that's a huge part of sort of uh, you know and i'm using the word psychopathy loosely because i'm not a you know i'm not a psychiatrist but i you know i i have very very limited exposure to to, to mental health issues and sort of mm. you know that his his you know his transgender issues or you know his idea it's it that's not he, it's quite a complex issue, but it's it, it's yeah. not a transphobic thing, and his transgender is something that is that is so mixed up and is so fucked up in his own head. Not that because mm. he is transgender, it's because he has tried to kill a certain part of his being. Yeah, no, it's um, it, it's it, you know, I'm not. I, I just it, it, going back to it. It's just something I've ne- I, I've never seen how that 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 was interpreted and. Perhaps, perhaps I don't know. It's just something I've never sort of associated. You know, know, let's be fair. We're two, you know, approaching middle-aged white Welshmen from the deepest, darkest South Wales valleys. What do we genuinely know about transgender, (laughs) transgender issues anyway? Not a lot. So, um, but you know, as I say, you know, that's something I've never associated to it at all but going back to Ted Levine Ted Levine is is it's just it, it, I was remember, I was remember that the, the promo shots going out when the film was released you had, you had the pictures of Stalin and Lecter and um, Crawford and then you had the pictures then of James Gunn and yeah. it was the, the shot of him just sort of behind the door as he's answered the door yes and you just you just think something not right there. No, without even knowing anything, there's something not right you there. Know the nipple piercing? Yeah, it's not a real nipple piercing. It's a prosthetic. <laughs> it is a prosthetic nipple. It wasn't in the screenplay either. No, no. <laughs> it I wasn't mean, in the screenplay. <laughs> that that scene is just terrifying on so many levels. Well, it's it, it's even when you realise that the wig he's wearing is somebody's scalp. Yes. Business. Yes. You know, you know. Then he's heavily made up, isn't he? You know, yeah. and you know, and then you, you see then in the background the mannequins um, that have dresses of certain sorts yes. on on there. It's and it, it's funny, isn't it? Because you, you you only see the dress that he's ultimately trying to make for himself. Yes. Yeah. You only see it when Stalin starts searching the basement yes and it's shot and the shot is like she's going into the door with a gun out she goes in and she sort of does an intake of breath and then you sort of see what she sees and you see the mannequin with the bodysuit there hanging you know and you know that is what his, his aim was that is what he was aiming for you know that is what he was covered in yes yeah completely 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 it's just... And Ted Levine um, was also in another of my favourite films from the 1990s. Well, he was in Heat. He was in Heat. He was in... He was I was Bosco. Say, 
Yeah, yeah, and you know, if you look, if you want of to course. talk about and I mean, of course, let, you know, let's be honest with you, his highlight of his you know, career in the 90s was Wild Wild West. <laughs> oh, Wiki this, Wild. This, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Let's go, right. I, I was going to bring this up, right? There's an anecdote I was going to make about uh, the cool Lazarus sequence, the yes. Goodbye Horses, right? Yes, yes. That is parodied in Clerks 2. yes. A Jay and Silent Bob? Yes. Right. Have you ever watched Kevin Smith's, um, when he goes to like universities and he does speeches about Yeah, filmmaking? yeah, I've seen a couple of them, yeah, yeah. Right. Have you seen the one when he talks about um, when he was asked to do a draft for Superman Lives? No, no, I haven't seen that one. Right. He's basically contacted by Warner. I'm going to have to get the producer's name, right? Because... Um, <laughs> basically he's talking about filmmaking process and um when he's hired to um write drafts for um superman um lives he was asked by the producer <laughs> i gotta I gotta got get the producer's name and it's gonna jump out to me john peters yes right? john peters john peters was a very successful producer However, he started his Hollywood career as being Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. Yes, that's right. Yes, of course. I, I, yes, right. yes. Right. So basically, John Peters now is a, it has made he, he produced that. I think he produced Tim Burton's Batman. In yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, so he was a man of, we, of great wealth and great power. And um, Kevin Smith, you know, as he says, you know, just this fat guy from Jersey who writes tit and cock jokes, like right, and um. He's, he's drafted in because they find out these great he's written comics for like Marvel and DC yeah, I think yeah, yeah. He's, he did a lot for Marvel did a lot for Marvel yeah sorry for Marvel but anyway he's contacted and they, they want him to work on a draft of Superman Lives right and so he has a meeting with John Peters and they're discussing and he's going right, I want to do this for Carlisle and thinking about doing this and John Peters basically goes um, right he's not going to wear a cape Kevin Smith is like, well, hang on, we're we talking about Superman, you know, the cape is like, is iconic. He can't really lose the cape. No, he's not going to have a cape. He's also going to fight a big spider. Yes. <laughs> and Kevin Smith's yes. like, I've heard this story now, yeah. What? What? How am I going to fit a big spider anyway? So he submits his script. It's not taken on. It is rejected. Thank you very much, Kevin. Here's a check for however much money you're going to pay for your work, you know, but we're going to move on. And he's like, you know, so be it. And so anyway, was it 97 yeah yeah, it's right about then yeah so he comes out you know the big film of the summer is Wild Wild West you know and I'm sat there in the theatre watching something and a trailer comes up for you know the next big thing Wild Wild West produced by John Peters and he's like oh Will Smith Kevin Klein oh it looks looks like it could be good and then this giant fucking (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah yeah, yeah. he's like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, that, that story always rings true and if you get a chance I don't know if, you, if you've seen it already have a look on YouTube for Kevin Smith talking about working with Prince right okay genius absolute genius now coming back to um, coming back to the, uh, coming, coming back to Silas I'm just imagining Kevin Smith's face, face now as he's seen this giant spider there <laughs> the, Honestly. Now, I mean, he's, such a, he's such a brilliant storyteller you know yes. I'm just I'm just paraphrasing him you know but, oh, just brilliant. Now, brilliant I think you know Brooke Smith as um, Catherine Martin gives a really good performance 
gives it was a, a first first film. Yeah, first ever and what a you know what a bloody film to be dragged you know to do because you know it could not be pleasant being stuck down a well for no. pretty much your entire on screen time. No, no, and Catherine Martin is um, she's quite resilient, isn't she? She's yes. a bit, bit of a tough cookie in fairness to her, you yes. know. She's, you know, she's rather, whereas perhaps some might have just wilted and sort of given in and just, you know, let what be what be. Um, she thinks, well, I'm going to try and u- u- utilise my surroundings here. Um, and, you know, <laughs> the capture of um, Precious, oh, the dark, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, is, is, is quite remarkable. And you, you see the reaction then, don't you? Oh, you know, yeah. And, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's she's brilliant. She's really really good. I I say this is something I I forgot to talk about earlier when we were talking about the Oscars. Neither Scott Glenn nor Ted Levine were nominated for their roles. Which is which you know I think Scott Glenn. I am a big fan of Scott Glenn. I think he is an excellent actor. He's yeah, a superb he's actor. Um, and but Ted Levine should have been nominated because his performance is. Do you think this is this is crazy because a lot is made about um, screen time. Um, Lecter isn't on screen. Sixteen minutes. Sixteen minutes. Sixteen then, right? minutes. Right. How long is Ted Levine on screen for? Less than that. It's got to be about that, haven't it? It's, it's less. I, I think he's less than. I think he's. I think he, he, he's less than. Uh, less than Lecter. You know, um, and you know, and, and he's equally as in, as imposing, isn't he, and threatening as. Um, Lecter, you know, he's not as brilliant. I'm not saying, you know, he's, he's not, but the thought, you know, educational wise, or like, uh, I was cunning even. Yes. But, you know, he's, he's, he's remarkable. He's absolutely remarkable. And I, 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 that's really surprised me. I, I thought Scott Glenn might have been a, like a, a shoe in at least for the nomination. I tell you what, a film that doesn't get a lot of love with uh, Scott Glenn is the original Man on Fire, uh, where he plays the creasy character. Um, the Denzel Washington film, yeah, yeah. The, the Scott Glenn is in the original. Uh, I did. I honestly didn't know that was. Uh, yeah, re- yeah, and Joe Pesci is in it as well in the original. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's very good. It's not amazing. It's not amazing, but it is. You know, it's very, very good, and his performance is excellent in it. His performance is excellent. The other one he's excellent is a little known film called Gangland, um, where he plays a hitman. Um, that's ringing bells for some reason. Very, very good gangster film. Very, very good gangster film. Um, and there's a brilliant scene in it where he sort of dresses himself up as almost like a mannequin and he's waiting in the shop window. It's absolutely... It's really, really good. Really? really? Yeah, it's really good. Um, can't, can't, I honestly can't say that I've... I've, I've heard of, well, I, like I said, I, I honestly didn't know Man on Fire was a, a remake, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, when you look at, like, Scotland, I mean, he is... In, I mean, he's got 98 films. He's in it. Hunt for the Red October. Um, he was in Vertical Limit. We'll forget that one. Um, oh, I got to say one thing about Vertical Limit. When it came out, people were raving about it, right? Yeah. I didn't the cinema to watch it because I, I saw the trailer and I was like, no, 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 not no, for me. No. I remember being in a mate's house and they put it on and the opening sequence, I burst out laughing at because um, obviously the, um, the climbing mountains and somebody literally hits the floor dead. Yes. Right? I burst out laughing at that and I couldn't watch the rest of the film as a result of it because I just couldn't take it seriously thereafter. 
1987, Gangland. It also goes by the name of the Vern Miller story. So right. 1987, but the, the title that it was released in the UK is Gangland. It is really... Don't listen to the credits on IMDb, because, you know, people can be cunts on there. Um, <laughs> but... Um, because they can. People sort of watch the. It's the worst fucking movie I've ever seen. I want to stab my balls because this film made me. And it's not actually. You know, everybody. When I'm. Don't get me wrong. There are some films that I've said don't bother watching because they're not worth your time. Everybody. Nobody ever sets out to make a bad movie. And some people just want to be really cruel about films and about performances and what have you. So I always take IMDb with a pinch of salt. But no, Gangland is excellent visually. It's really, really striking at times. It's well worth it, um, and it's based on the Vern Miller was a. I think it's a, a true story as he was a he was a hitman, but no, it's worth it. Well worth it. All right, right. I, I see what I can find on um, the various platforms. Possibly the interweb. <laughs> I, I, I got paid subscription to certain things, man. <laughs> hey, look, your your subscription to Bang Bros is up to you, man. It's up to you. How dare you? you. Nobody sits in a room staring at Google. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, bizarrely, we mentioned Michelle Pfeiffer earlier. Yes. Uh, Do you know who the other person who was was approached to play Lecter? Do you see the beast? Have you got it in your sights? (laughs) Mr. Connery. What the fuck? Mr. Connery was approached. Yeah. Would have been, well, we, 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 we've done this. How many times have we done this? You know, you imagine the alternative casting and it just never, ever would have worked. Never, no. ever in a million years would it have no. worked. Catwoman um, and James Bond in the same scene. I don't think it would sort of... Uh... I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's something... I like Michelle Pfeiffer. I think she's a very, very good actress. However, she is not... Jodie Foster. No, and as as long as we've talked now, this one thing we haven't really discussed is Jodie Foster. She's got this film on her shoulders from beginning to end, doesn't oh, she? She is immense, and I mean, there are, there are scenes in this film where you know when she's talking with, uh, particularly the scenes where um, she's discussing her past. Yeah. Uh, and Lecter brings up the, you know, her accent and she's trying to hide and the fact that she's just one, le- you know, just one generation away from being white. The hurt. Yeah. Or, because obviously Lecter's, Lecter's ability to see right through the facade, right through the facade is almost laser-like and it's cutting and it's brutal. And, you know, her... Um, you know, the, the taunts and what have you, but you can see her sort of regrouping, you know? Yeah. And I mean, she gives, you know, she's ne- at, ne- at no point in this is she ever a damsel in distress. No, no. And what I, what I will say as well is that, um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but every time she's in an environment, everybody sort of gravitates to her. Yes, she, it, um, when she comes back and walking through the airport yes and there's people walking past her and you know and she's oblivious to it all yes um, but she's when, got pe- people turning their heads to see her and this yes. is before yeah. even Bill is caught and whatnot. my favourite scene is where she gets in she comes off the training course right at the beginning and she gets in the lift 
and <laughs> she's surrounded by just those giant guys, and they're all wearing red. Yeah, yeah. You know, a, red red features an awful lot throughout the film. The color red. Yes. Um, there's there's um there's a theory behind it. Um, there's um there's a lot of red, there's a lot of white, and there's a lot of blue. And they they saying it about being the like associated to the American flag, somewhat. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, Demi himself is a very, you know, I think he's he's somewhat controversial um, at times due to his, you know some of his political stances. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, you know the, the, there is that sort of in the book it doesn't appear, but when you know uh, Clary Starlin is in the um, the garage where she finds Moffat's head and she yes. sees the car. And it's yes. draped in the American flag. Uh-huh. And then when um, she's in, um, you know, uh, Jim Gum's house and, you know, or you see Jim Gum's house and he sat at his sewing desk and there's mm. the, the part of the American flag. Yeah. He's on the wall. And then later on then, as she's chasing him through the house, his bed, he's, he's almost got a quilt, but it's got swastikas on it. Yes. You know, yes. and I think, you know, Demi's, yeah, <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, He's sort of he's not shy of controversy, and I think his sort of um, his sort of political beliefs. Um, he's very, very um, he's sort of very, very liberal. Um, he directed a series of commercials for liberal um, advocacy group called uh, People for the American Way. Um, he's you know he did a, a documentary about uh, Haiti. Um, you know, he's you know, and I think that comes across. He comes, it, it comes across in his film, and there's there is that subtle sort of, um, or not so subtle, I suppose, um, idea of you know the the darkness behind the American dream. Mm. You know, mm. and I think, and I think that's something that's quite interesting. And lots of filmmakers, I mean, you know, obviously, Blue Velvet is a classic example of the of the you know the the. the the menace that lurks behind the American dream. And I think, yeah. Yeah. you know, because when you look at like where the Jim Gum, Gum character is, it's, you know, it's the heartlands of America. You know, these aren't sort of, you know, and, you know, Clary Starlin herself, she is, you know, she is the epitome of the sort of, uh, you know, the, the tough, <coughs> the tough sort of country girl with her, you know, with her accent. And you've got, you know, when she's dealing with the, you know, at the sheriff's office when she got all those men just all stood around and she sort of has, almost has to treat them as the good old boys yeah. as they, le- you know, it, it, again, it's, and it's quite clever actually, because it's, you know, it's a subtle message that runs through the film. Um, that Demi never beats you about the face with it. No, no. And, um, you know, at least we forget, I, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but do you know, you've, you've referred to the, when, um, Lecter calls a poor white trash. Yes. Um, what, um she wasn't aware that um, Anthony Hopkins was going to take the piss. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Her, her reaction, you know, her bristling is a genuine reaction to what's, what's happening to her because yes. she wasn't aware of it. It wasn't discussed. Um, you know, and I think, I think Jodie, because of all the, 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 the point of view, close-up shots of her face, her reactions, as I said earlier, especially during the... Um, the um, Buffalo Bill confrontation then yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the blackout um, you know and her, rea- her face rea- it's almost demi shot it when something is said or, or something is discovered or something you would always have a reaction shot from yeah. Jodie Foster and 
um, to all intents and purposes, the the, the filming of, of Silence of the Lambs for a film that really is quite um, intense, I suppose, in parts. Oh, yeah. The filming was extremely light because Demi, Demi, you know, he sat, he passed away last year, sadly. Yes. Um, but he, um, every film show, every film that he made, the the the, um, the set was always a very jovial, a very happy place. It wasn't, you know, a place where, you know. People were beaten beaten down, you know, no, or no, no. No. you know, disrespected. He he, he, you know, he kept everything light and treated everybody the same. And you know, he played practical jokes on every single person yes. on the set, apparently. Yeah. Um, which is 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 a total contrast to what is actually being filmed and what was actually released, you know, in yeah. the cinema, you know. And it's, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because as I said, you know, she's carrying this film. This film is, is is on her shoulders, and you know she is the one who was put through the situations that she has put through, and you were seeing her reacting to those environments, to those situations, to you know um, the puzzles put in front of her then by yes. Lecter, you know, you know, you know, put put presenting these little, you know, little nuggets of information to her and, and, and relying on her intelligence because. At least we forget Jodie Foster is a hugely intelligent woman. She's very, very, oh, yes. very, yeah, very well read, you know. And she conveys that 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 that, that process, that intelligence, you know. Um, yeah, she's got people around her helping her, and you know, everybody's got people around them helping her. But you know, this is about her, you know, because she is the one ultimately who tracks down Jane Gunn. Yes, you know, he she and she is the driver, isn't she? And. Uh, that's one of the things that I, you know, that I, she, even though sort of, you know, Lecter toys with her at the beginning, and one yeah. of the things that Lecter, you know, one of the, th- the character traits of Lecter, and it's very, you know, it's a bit more prominent in the book, he likes to create monsters. Yeah. He would take his sort of um, people who went to see, you know, would come and, and it was done really, really well in the TV series Hannibal, where yeah. he would take people who were coming to him for therapy and those that, and turn them into, it, turn them into real monsters. Yeah. But he sort of, he almost sort of his toy in his probing um the quid pro quo between him and uh, Clarice it's sort of it's it's the thing that opens her up to yeah. to everything around her and and this, this this relationship between the two of them and i think mm-hmm. it, it that there's that brilliant moment where he hands her the document where she's being dragged away and she runs back and gets it and there's just that slight touch of the fingers yeah, and that's beautifully shot, and it's never overplayed. No, um, and it shows that th- what their relationship is, and the reason why it's never like that sort of oh my god they're in love with each other kind of because I think if in certain directors' hands, I think that would have been would have been there. But what well, it does have is that sort of two great masterful performances. Yeah, and it, it a lot, and I think this is where Hannibal failed quite badly yes. is that whereas this is platonic um, yes. and respectful of each other yeah he, he, she knows he's playing the game she's yeah. well aware of that but the thing is she's he's playing this game for her end yes and this is why I think Hannibal totally fell apart not the TV show but the, the film and the yeah. book is because it developed into yes. A, a very uncomfortable yes. love story and you know where does Hannibal the um, TV show um, was Will Graham yes. and 
Hannibal Lecter and this, this the story thereof yeah. Yeah. done quite brilliantly in certain parts. Yes. And I mean genuinely brilliantly. Um the one execution <laughs> I must admit. Have you you've watched Hannibal? Yeah, 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 yeah. The one execution of um Crawford's one of his team. Yes. And the body is basically sliced and he's put into <laughs> eight different sections. Yes. So when you yeah, 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 yeah. It's not tall. Yeah. But when you had the camera around, there was different sections. Yes. I thought that was absolutely astonishing. Yes. That, that was brilliant, brilliant television. But the the, the book um, and the film yeah, had... It, the book. it got it wrong. Got it, it wrong. It, it, and it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's such a such a misstep like um it was a cash in it's a cash grab yeah and it, it, it's, it, and it hasn't and, and you haven't got foster's performance no no and it's no disrespect to julianne moore because julianne moore's it's a great actress brilliant actress right it's, yeah but the thing is when you've got such an iconic character as clarice starling that is only ever going to be one clarice starling yes yes you know um but having said that though you know mads mickelson was a tremendous Hannibal actor, but he's a great actor. He's such an underrated actor. Yeah, he's such an Valhalla Rising is immense. Yeah, but we're going back to Brian Cox. Brian Cox is a brilliant actor. Yeah, yeah, true, you know, true. But is, is there a definitive actor? That's Hopkins, isn't it? It's Anthony Hopkins. Isn't that isn't that bizarre? Yeah, isn't that bizarre though. You yeah. know, it's strange, isn't it? Do you know I mean, what? When we're talking about that relationship, do you know what the only bit that I love, the, and it's my favorite, it's one of my favorite parts in the book, actually, and I always remember it is the letter the lector sends her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I know they did it in a phone call in the film, yeah. and they kind of played around with it. But when you, you know, what he says, he asks, her, "Have the lamb stopped screaming?" Yeah. And then it says, "You know, um, I won't be surprised if you answer, you know, if the answer is yes and no." The lambs will stop for now, but Clarice, you judge yourself with all the mercy of the dungeon scales at Threve. You will have to earn it again and again, the blessed silence, because it is the plight that drives you. Seeing the plight and the plight will not end ever. That is that is brilliant. That is yeah. absolutely brilliant. And I just, that was the one thing I would, I would have liked to have seen in this. Yeah. Um, if you can see why it it wasn't put into the film because no. oh well it's time time and economy I mean you know they're dealing with yeah and let's be honest um, Hannibal Lecter sitting in a hotel room um, staring out you know at yes the him. It, it, it might have worked but why why do that when you've got the opportunity to think of what is going to happen to Dr. Frederick Chilton in a hot and sweaty climate it's now the, that to me is and again is you a, get the classic line don't you I'm having an old friend for dinner yes <laughs> and I mean this is the other thing as well the other, my other favourite line and everybody quote you know quotes it is where he says to the you know when he's got the congresswoman and he says love the suit uh, <laughs> 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 is look we, 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 we do this often, don't we, with great lines. Um, there's, a, there's one in the initial meeting, um, uh, uh, sorry, the, the, the um, meeting of Crawford and Clarice Starlin, and he yeah. goes, see it as an interesting errand. Yeah. That's just, that's just brilliant. That's a great line. Now, we, and the most famous line of all isn't as in the book. No, no, it's not because it's not Chianti in the book. No, it's a moran. A moran? Moran? A moran. Sorry, a moran. 
I, I, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice amoran. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was totally ad-libbed as well. Yes. Yeah. Totally ad-libbed. I no, 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 I can't go. Anyway, so we've bounced all over the place. Um, have we, do you think we've missed anything? Is there anything that you want to, you know, we can, we can bring to this? Going back to the Oscars, I made it, I actually made a list of the films that it was up against um, when it did actually win the Big Five, as yes. we discussed already. The other nominees were for Best Film. Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. Bugsy with mm-hmm. Warren Beatty, yeah. which is yeah, all right. right. Yeah. JFK, which is a masterpiece. Oh, it's, 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 yeah. Astonishing, astonishing. And Prince of Tides. Do we need to say any more? Speaking of horror. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nolte's drunken face. Well... I would argue, right, that the films, um, the directors and the films they did are, save for Booty and the Beast and JFK, the other films nominated are better films than the ones that were nominated for Best Picture, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. John Singleton for Boys in the Hood. Yes. Which is a remarkable film, absolutely remarkable. Barry Levinson for Bugsy. Well, you know, Bugsy is Bugsy. Yeah. Ridley Scott for Thelma and Louise, which is I, look, it's a brilliant film. It's Thelma. a great film, but is it Silence of the Lambs? No, it's not. And Olive Stone for JFK. Um, the, no, the actors for best actor was Warren Beatty for Bugsy. Yeah. That Amblin wholesome family entertainment, Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. <laughs> He's immense in that. Didn't you know this is amazing? Now, I he love is. Robert Mitchum in the original. I think Robert Mitchum is... Oh, yeah. He's terrifying. Yeah. But De Niro but, takes that to her when he bites that woman's face. Ileana Douglas. She, oh. who's, in, who's in Goodfellas with yeah. him, you know? Um, Nick Nolte for Prince of Tides. <laughs> and Robin Williams for The Fisher King. Fisher King is a great film. It's very, very under, underrated. Brilliant. Very underrated. Um, the best actress category was really quite. It's strong. It's very strong. But the only thing is, two of the films I don't think I've ever heard of since. Okay, come on, then lay it on me. You had Jodie Foster for Silence of the Lambs. Yes. You had Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon for Thelma Louise. Interesting. Laura Dern for Rambling Rose. <laughs> Fuck. What? Honestly. Yeah, right. And Bette Midler for The Boys. Have now, you ever seen The Boys? <laughs> no, have you, do you, have you telling me you've seen I have seen The, the boys. boys, yeah. I've seen The Boys. It never ends. <laughs> it never ends. I'm sure that film is about... It's about ten hours long. It never ends. It's just bizarre. I, I, I honestly know. I don't think I've heard of... Um, those two films since Rambling Rose is a bizarre bizarre I, I, it's just, I, I've never seen it but you know it's just one of those it sounds like something that they'd have on the Hallmark channel <laughs> well, there is one other thing that I think we must make mention of is the uh, we, I made very brief mention of it is the sound editing and the sound effects yeah, of yeah. this film the um, 
is it, is it um, the capture of um, Lecter's exhaling, you know, when yeah, he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when the moth is taken out of the throat of the dead body. Yeah, and the, sound, yeah, the that, hiss. Yeah, the, the, hiss. Little, the gas coming yeah. out there. Yeah, is tremendous. Again, this, the sounds going deeper and deeper into the bowels of the hospital as well. You know, yeah. those sounds going here and there. Yeah. Um, multiple megs, you can hear. I know, I know. It's just grim. There. And, you know, and, and the thing is, that is, as she is leaving and she's almost saying yes. goodbye to Lecter, you can hear it yes. in the background. And it's like, oh, my God, how do you even sort of begin to think about how you're going to make those yeah. sounds? You know, and... Um, it, it, and at least we forget um, the, the, the sounds um, during the execution. Um, the, the sorry, the escape of Lecter. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the sound effects editing. Howard Shaw score. We haven't discussed Howard Shaw it's, score. Do you know what the, the opening of it and that pe- the opening piece of music? It's sort of all. It's very somber. Well. I've always been fascinated with it because it's almost quite light when it starts, but it becomes very, very somber yes. and very serious. And, you know, Howard Shaw is is best known now um, for his work on the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies. Yeah, you know, yeah. Tools yeah. the world. Um, and, you know, and those, piece, those pieces of music are phenomenal. They genuinely yeah. are phenomenal. But I've always sort of been... Um, fascinated with the, the score of this film because um like i say the, the starting off when everything is quite light and whatnot and it, it is yeah. sudden then quite somber then foreboding and threatening and intimidating yeah. and, and then the, the, the music choices then throughout the film because um um jonathan demi is um, a big music fan he directed loads of videos for loads yeah. of artists over the world uh, over the years sorry and um there's, there's one sequence, and the sequence you men- made mention to when you see Bill at the. Um, oh no, I don't think it is that part actually. I think it might be the actual confrontation when in the cellar. Yes. And the music playing in the background is the fall. Have you heard of the fall? Fronted by Marky e. Smith. Man, they're a very famous Manchester band. They went through yes, yes, ten members. Yeah. Marky Smith passed away fairly recently as well. He had been yes. very, um, he was somewhat of a uh, what's the word, curmudgeon, a yes. bit of a rebelist. Yeah, and he wasn't exactly backward and coming forward about things. And um, and I've always found it quite strange, really, that you know a, a grumpy Mancunian would, would would have his music playing over. You know, one of the one of the finest serial killer films ever committed to celluloid. Well, like, you know, here's the other thing as well about the music in this is that there are times where you don't realise it's there, and that's a yeah. mark of a brilliant score. Yeah. The other part where actually we talk about sound is in the confrontation between Lecter and the Congresswoman. Is actually the more pissed off she is getting with him, you hear the the jet engine getting louder yeah. and louder and louder. Yeah. That is a great. You know, that that, that that's very very clever. Yeah. Very, very. I mean, Howard Shaw is, you know, God. He's a, you know, you know. You look at his work. I mean, even if you just took the Lord of the Rings stuff, is, you know, is is incredible. Is incredible. I mean, he's, you know, he's he's he worked with the Eurythmics. Um, he worked with David Cronin, but you know, he's worked with everyone. Yeah, he, he has worked he did, with everyone. He did the fly, didn't he? He did the fly. Yes. Great film. God, brilliant! I, do you know I haven't seen it in a number of years? And I've got it on DVD. I, w- I was walking past. Um, I was in Ponypool Market, and it was fifty p on DVD. I've I've not seen it in a number of years, but 
because I, 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 we've discussed this and yeah. my attitude towards horror films has changed considerably over the years um, but I remember watching that film and being absolutely blown away by it because it's just so so it's so inventive if, oh um, yeah, you know. Yeah. If, 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 even if the story is quite basic, you know. And, but the thing is, it's maximum body horror, isn't it? To be honest, yeah. it really, really is. Yeah. It's remarkable, absolutely remarkable film. But yeah, you, you are right about how it shows some of the stuff he's been involved in. It's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. It, it is bananas. It really, really is. Really, really is. So, here we go. Score time. You go first, go on. It's a 10. I would completely agree with you. It it's is a 10. 10. It's a 10. It, it, there is no two ways about it. There are very, there are very few films that are a 10. I no. cannot criticise this film on any level. No, it's literally classic status. There's no ifs, no buts, no what ifs about it. You know, it does not um, age. No, no. And the thing is... I think films that become iconic, yes, they are left open to parody. Yes, they are yeah. left open, you know, for, you know, but that's only because of the impact they have in society. And, you know, it's not it's not a fleeting moment. It's not um, a film that's going to become like a sign of the times. No, it is stone cold, all time classic. Very, very much so. Very, very much so. I mean, I think, you know, the the impact of this film is you know is so far reaching is so yeah. far reaching yeah and you know i think if we were to go back now and look at films released post silence of the lambs yes you probably pick out at least 20 fbi agents oh yes yeah. um I, I tell you one that comes off the top of the top of the mind is Copycat. Yeah, I went with Sigourney Weaver Sigourney and Weaver. yeah, and um, uh, Harry Connick Jr. Yes, no, that is shit. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a poor film. And, you know, despite all the, the, the quality of the people involved, and I know Harry Connick has gone on to you know to, to act in several things, but you know, I almost expect him every time he's on the screen to start going. It had to be you. <laughs> no, Harry, Harry, we're, we're, you're a serial killer. It had to be you. Yeah. No, stop, yeah. stop. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's like I always remember when Chris Isaac came, came on screen in uh, Silence of the Lambs, and you know he was best known, and he pretty still is to this day. You know, uh, for um, Wicked Game, isn't it? Yeah. From Wild Heart, uh, yeah. the David film, the fabulous. Brilliant film. Um, that album, that, I've got that Chris Isaac album, Wicked Game. It is superb. Is that the one that got Blue Hotel on then as well? Yeah. Blue Hotel. Blue Hotel. Uh, <laughs> but, it, I, you know, everything that we've talked about, we haven't really talked about the Left and Escape sequence, have we? We've mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like the, and that, that angel scene. Yeah. The reveal. Yeah, it yeah. is. You know, and I mean, it is beat for beat. Yeah. Um, it is a perf- it's a perfect it's a perfect a perfect ex- even though you know everything that's happening. Yeah, yeah, and Lecter does it all with a pen knife. Do you know what? Do you know what makes me wince? After he's beaten, oh, he sprays him. He sprays him <laughs> after he's bitten him. He sprays him right, and you just think, oh my god, that's so gonna sting. 
that's yeah. really gonna st- and he's screaming he's on the floor and after he's beaten he's lying there and he's you see the other yeah. guard and his head is essentially all over the you know the, is boring with blood and he's listening to the music and then he looks down and yeah. he sees the pen knife but yeah. you hear the other guy trying to crawl away yeah ready when you are yes it's just but that moment is you know and even the bit where they, you know, they open the elevator shaft and they see the body lying there and he says alright yeah. shoot him in the leg now yeah. in terms of like thinking this is one man yeah this is one person and they shoot him in the leg and he doesn't move yeah, and as I said earlier, you know, they sent a SWAT team after a pudgy guy from Portalbert at the end of the day, isn't it? It is you Portalbert, know? mind you. <laughs> you said that, and not me. <laughs> you know, and I, and I mean, when you think about Portalbert, it's given us Richard Burton, Satney Hopkins, uh, and Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen, yeah. Arguably the three greatest actors of the generations. Like, yeah, it, arguably, it, you know, it is. Uh, it's staggering. It's staggering. It is. Staggering. It is. Michael Sheen was in Merthyr on the weekend as well, apparently. Was he? Yeah, when I mean, they had the Merthyr Rising Festival, they had a um, did it uh, poets thing or, or whatnot. Yeah. And apparently, he, I, I don't know if he did attend, but I've been told through a very, very, very good source that he was attending to give a speech. Yeah. So good for him because he's he's a, he's a great guy by all accounts. He's a really, yeah. really great guy, and he's um, well. We me and you had a discussion about him, didn't we? Yes. Not so long back and yes. We, we won't, we won't talk about that on no. here. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, um, so it's a 10 for me. It's a 10 from you. I tell you what, yeah. if anybody out there, if you want to see somebody make a total twat of themselves reviewing this film, the Siskel and Ebert review. Oh, Gene Siskel's review. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I read it recently. Oh, my God. Watch it. It looks like Roger Ebert is about to nut him. He got it so so wrong, and again, it's interpretation, isn't it? If you take away from films what you interpret, isn't it? Right? Yes. He's totally wrong. He's just He's a dick. He's just a dick. I, the pair of them wind me up on equal equal opposite. If one of them doesn't, it's almost like one of them is going to say something to upset the other one. Yes. Do you yeah. know what I mean? They could take, the, you know, they could take something like uh, I don't know, you know, Goodfellas, and one of those. It's a terrible film. No, it's not. It's a terrible. Yes, and they just do. It's almost like they think, how can I wind the other one up? And yet, the two of them, whilst they were alive, both agreed that Jackass the movie was a thumbs up from both of them. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing, though, isn't it? I think <laughs> Jackass speaks to everybody's in inner ten-year-old. Yes, it does. It does. It really, really it does. Speaks to, all right, men. It, it, it speaks to every bloke's inner little boy. Yes. Where you just think to yourself, hmm, <laughs> how funny would it be if I decided to take a dump inside, a, yeah. <laughs> inside the shop? <laughs> uh, I, I, I wonder if it hurt if I insert this toy car into a certain part of my anatomy. <laughs> and then go and get an x-ray. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, or, you know, let's dress as pandas and I'm going to push you over in the street. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, they're great films, though. They are really, really good films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, once again, thank you very much for being here, my brother. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Take care, man. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Ta-da. Ta-da. Once again, I want to say thank you to Leighton for being on. And now it's time for What the Wookiee Watched. And at first, we have got John Carpenter's The Ward from 2009. Let's check out the trailer.
What's the first thing you remember? Fire. What's your name? Kristen. Welcome to the ward. Your new home. Why am I here? You can't get them to tell you anything. Sometimes they take people away and they don't come back. If I were you, I'd watch out, new girl. There's a ghost in here. I'm sure you believe you saw what you say. I'm not crazy. She's the last one that got out. She's one of us, but she's gone now. And now she's going to kill us all. You've got to deal with them. We have to get out of here. Get her in a straitjacket. Wasn't so bad, was it? That was the trailer for John Carpenter's The Ward, released in 2009. Uh, so, like it said, it was directed by John Carpenter. It was written by Michael Rasmussen and his brother Sean Rasmussen. It stars Amber Heard, Mamie Gummer, Daniel Panabaker, Laura Lee Claire, Linda Fonseca, Mike uh, or Mika, sorry, Borem, and Jared Harris. Now, I th- is this a return to form for John Carpenter? Not quite. It's you know, it's not as bad as Ghosts of Mars. It's slightly better than Vampires. Um, it's very, very much John Carpenter in sort of gun for hire mode. Um, it has some tense moments in it. It has um, it has an interesting build. It's very, very much a slow burn. Um, Jared Harris is very, very good in this, as he is in most things. Um, However, there are no real big surprises in this. Um, The so-called twist at the end, you can see it coming a mile off. Um, But it's not as bad as people make out. I think when this came out, people absolutely slammed it. Um, However... I really enjoyed it. It's a, it, I would call it a semi-return to form by John Carpenter, and I would give it a, a 6 out of 10. Okay, up next we have got Batman Ninja from 2018. Let's check out the trailer. <laughs> Everyone's been calling me the most powerful man in Japan, the Demon King, Lord Joker. This is ancient Japan. Our master has ordered us to kill him on sight. The Joker. That's right, Max. We're leave you with us, Master Bruce. They're all trying to take over this country and rewrite history. This is it. The Batmobile, the Batwing, the Bat Cycle. They've all been destroyed at the hands of the Joker. 
But I have my mind, my spirit, and all of you. When the country is in chaos, a foreign ninja wearing the mask of a bat will come and restore order to our land. Great shinobi from across the sea of time. Lord Batman. Now what? Okay. Um, Batman Ninja from 2018, directed by Junapai Mizuzaki and written by Kazuki Nakashima. Um, I think it must be my age because by the time I was finished watching this one, I had a pound in my grin. Um, the, the anime style was just insane. Um, it does not rest at all this film completely flies it is 120 miles an hour there is not a moment's respite in this at all um it's 85 minutes it it really is the sort of um it really does belong to the sort of adhd generation um the story is absolutely insane i'm not even going to try and get into it now however i thoroughly enjoyed it um it's a very very interesting concept um what i did i preferred it actually in the original japanese as opposed to the english dub um just because it kind of fits a bit better um i would probably recommend not watching this too late at night and then trying to go to sleep because you know <laughs> it's it is the equivalent equivalent of having 12 espressos um it's very, very entertaining. It's completely ridiculous. Um, once again, Warner Brothers DC uh, have uh, created a very, very good piece of animation. Um, it's very, very much in the anime style. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, though, do brace yourself because it is going to give you one hell of a headache. Um, and I would give this a 7 out of 10. Okay. Up next, we have got the 2009 remake of The Last House on the Left. Let's check out the trailer. Are we there yet? We are making the turn now. It's the last house on the left, in case you forgot. It is the only house for miles, Dad. Do you guys need the car today? I was thinking I could meet up with Paige. Have fun. I don't think we've met. I'm Paige. This is Mary. Hey. What do you feel like doing tonight? I think Justin here could be kind of cute. <laughs> Evening. You knew not to bring anybody back here. <gasps> you made the front page. That's what's going on. This is none of our business. I'm sorry, ladies. Oh, my God. We just can't risk it. Oh, no. No. Please. These are two lovely girls, Justin. Bring her back. You got her. I saw a house back there. It's 
about our car trouble. We're actually pretty lucky today. Seeing your house. There's only one problem. Our daughter won't have the car back till tomorrow morning. You know, you should probably just sleep here tonight. We have a guest house. Did you hear that? Mary! She's been shot. Can you tell us who did this to you? What are we gonna do? We don't have a car. The phones are dead and they're still here. This means we're gonna be ready to do anything. That reminds me of a warm, safe place where eyes are shining. Okay, that was the trailer for The Last House on the Left, the remake from 2009, directed by Dennis Iliadas and written by Adam Aleshka, of course, based on the Wes Craven uh, idea and original story. Uh, and also the screenplay was written by Carl's, Carl Ellsworth. Um, it starred Garrett Dillhunt, uh, Monica Potter, Tony Goldwyn, Michael Bowen, Josh Cox, Ricky Linderholm, uh, Aaron Paul, Sarah Paxton, Martha McAlast... McLa- I'm not even going to try it. I'm not even going to try it. Um, Right, I'm going to say something slightly controversial, though. I kind of enjoyed this one far more than I did the original. Um, It's most certainly uh, a better shot film. Is it perfect? No, of course it's not. Um, It doesn't pull any punches, like very much like the original. Um, The rape scene in this one is, again, fairly graphic. The... Um, what this does have going in its favour, it doesn't have that awkward comedy relief that the original tried to have in there. And that really, really didn't work at all in any way, shape or form. Um, The cast here give very, very good performances. Um, Particularly, I think, uh, Tony Goldwyn. I think he's a much underrated character actor. Um, I think he's excellent in this as the father. Um, it's It's a good film. Look, this is not for the faint of heart. It's a, you know, it's a revenge flick. Um, it's certainly um, not, it doesn't sort of fit into that sort of grindhouse exploitation as the original did. But it is overall, I think it is a better made film with a higher budget. And you can, and you can see that compared to the original. Does it have the same kind of impact that the original would have? No, of course not. Um, however... If you're going to watch it, you know, obviously it does deal with sort of fairly uh, difficult uh, storylines and it it is very graphic at times. But if you know that going into it, you know, you can appreciate it for what it is. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a very, very good film and a good entry into the revenge revenge flick genre. Um, And I would give this a 7 out of 10. So, ladies and gentlemen, our time draws to an end once again. And like I said, I can't believe this is episode 40. 40 already. 
So, as always, I want to say a big shout out to my pals out there in the podcasting land or world or whatever, Twitterverse, whatever. Um, so, at first, uh, I want a big shout out to Gidget Von LaRue. And, of course, you can find Gidget. She's been on the show a couple of times now. And you can find her over at the Retro Movie Podcast along with her co-host, Angry Man. Of course, to my glamorously gothy gal pal, CL Raven. And you can find them at Raven's Retreat at CL Raven on Twitter. Um, their website is Raven's Retreat. Uh, I'm going to be appearing on their radio show on Vitalize Radio for a couple of weeks. Um, and we've got some things going on over there, which hopefully I'll be able to talk to you guys all about in the future. Um, so you can catch me and uh, CL Raven over there, of course, Jay Prowse. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Freddie French. Uh, you can please, please check out Jay's work. He's a contributor over at uh, VHS Revival, that's CJ, our friend of the show's uh, blog, but also he's on Dread Central, people. That's right, he's a proper writer. Uh, and of course, Gareth over at Slasher Trash on Twitter. Um, it's already said CJ. Uh, of course, we've got Alan Jeff over at Cadavercast. Guys, check out their podcast. It's an absolutely great show. Superb father and son team. Uh, of course, we've got Darren Hall over at Alt Movies. We've got Paul Hayden over at Schlock Horror. Again, another great blog. Always worth reading Paul's reviews. Uh, and of course, what show would this be without giving a big shout out to our big friend, our Scandinavian pal, Peter Nielsen over at, you can find Peter over at Peter Nielsen. You can hear him uh, on Retro Movie Geek along with uh, Joel and Daryl. You can find Daryl on Twitter at The Voice123. Of course, got to say big thank you to uh, Mr. Leighton Winston. You've just heard his delectable tones. And you can find him at Late Winst over on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, we always want to leave with a big shout out for uh, Horror Movie Podcast. And of course, you've got Jay of the Dead and Dr. Shock, uh, Dr. Dave Becker over there. And of course, Wolfman Josh, Josh Legary. And you can find him at Icarus Arts on Twitter. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Well, episode 40. Thank you very much for listening. Please, 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 please continue to uh, give us a shout on Twitter. Try and answer as many tweets as we possibly can. And if you're feeling very, very generous, please leave us some five-star reviews over at iTunes. But, of course, you can hear the show on SoundCloud and at iTunes. Come on over to the webpage. Find us over on Instagram at the Undead Wookie nineteen eighty. You can find us at the Undead Wookie on Twitter, and of course we've got the Facebook page. So please check that out. So, so all that's left for me to say is, in the immortal words of Count Dracula, "Good night out there, whatever you are." This is our from Cadavercast. You've been listening to Thunder Wookie. The best.